Well, happy Mother's Day, everyone. It's a big day, big day. And it's also a huge opportunity for me to recognize and thank two of my favorite people in the entire world. So first of all, to my mom. Mom, I know you're watching. And so I wanna take this opportunity to say happy Mother's Day. And thank you so much for being an amazing mom. I know that um, being my mom was way above and beyond the call of duty but you did an incredible job. You kept the faith, you kept believing, even though I think there was times that I gave you every possible reason to throw up your hands in defeat, to give up, to throw in the towel, but you never did. You never lost sight of the person that you knew that I was created to be, even when I myself lost sight of it. When everyone, including me, was looking at me through a lens of failure, you all always looked at me through a lens of the bright future that you saw that I have. When everybody, including me, counted me out, you showed me something. There's something interesting that happens when the world knocks you down and you're lying there flat on your back. If you open your eyes, you see the stars. You never stopped believing that I could run my race, that I could fight my fight, and I did. So thanks, Mom. You, in so many ways, define for me what unconditional love looks like. And to my best friend, Corinne, happy Mother's Day. Incredible mom to our amazing six kids. You're a 24-hour day seven days a week hero to all of them. On behalf of them, let me say thank you. Thank you for the late night talks and the early morning mochas. <laughs> thank you for the soft words of encouragement and hope and the iron will of determination and protection. Thank you for the highs and the lows. Thank you for the laughs and the tears. Thank you for the road trips and the quarantines. And from me, thank you. All the little stops that we've made along the way, one thing has remained constant. Your determination and your resilience and your faith has taken wherever we are and you've turned it into the home that is everything, 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 everything that I could have ever hoped for our family. So on that note, Southside Church, get your clap, clapping hands, is that what it's called? Clapping hands, clap hands, emojis ready and welcome my wife and our guest speaker for Mother's Day 2020, Corinne Manis. Wow, that was very nice. I wasn't expecting that. Thank you, Mike. It's so good to be here today together with all of you in this new version of Together that we found during this weird time. I'm so thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for every single one of you. This family at Southside, and I'm just really thankful for every one of you. And I'm so proud of the way that you guys just keep showing up Sunday after Sunday. Your resilience and your hope that you show is so inspiring. I was thinking about you all when I was reading this verse the other day. It's Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
I feel like this verse has so much more meaning for us now than it ever did before. But you guys are just showing so much strength and determination and just a refusal to stop, right? The church is still very much alive and you guys are keeping it alive and we're just so thankful for that. I find that in these circumstances, like the ones that we're all facing right now, when uncertainty and fear and difficulties press in from every side, that's where we were, are reminded where our hope comes from. That our hope is in Jesus, even if everything else fades, that foundation is sure and it's secure and it never changes, because God never changes. And I know in my life it has always been in these times of crisis that I've grown the most in my relationship with God. He's brought me closer to his heart more often in the bad times than in the good times, actually. I know that I've faced times in my life of depression and grief, times of sickness and uncertainty and loss. And when I look back on those times, that's when I've run back to God. Those are the times that I've refocused my life and put Jesus back at the center of it. And I think that's because God speaks in a whisper. And I don't know if it's like this in your life, but it sure is in mine. My life gets so full of noise and so full of activity that God's voice, God's whisper just gets drowned out. And then in times like this, when we're forced to slow down and we're fo forced to quiet our lives down, those are the times when we remember that our hope is in Jesus and that our foundation is firm under our feet because he is our rock. So I think that if we are intentional during this time, if we invite God in, if we run to him during this time, we're gonna look back and we're gonna have gratitude actually that God used what the enemy intended for evil for our good. He's gonna use this time that we're facing these present difficulties to draw us closer to himself and to his heart. And he's gonna remind us that he is our refuge, he is our protection, and he is our hope. So today is Mother's Day, and I am sure, completely convinced that this is the strangest Mother's Day that this generation has ever seen. For so many of you, I know you're physically separated from your families right now, I think of all of you who are living in, in long-term care homes. I can't tell you the number of times that I've thought about you all. How hard it must be for you to not be able to have visitors come, not have your family you know, come and spend time with you, and, and how, how scary it must be to live under a cloud, a fear of this virus. Our hearts just go out to you, and, and I want you to know that we're thinking of you and that we're praying for you for strength and protection, and we want you to know that you're not forgotten. And I wanna say a special hello, specifically to all of the residents and staff at Cascade Lodge right here in Chilliwack. Josh and Lucas talked about them in the intro. I just wanted to give all of the residents and staff there a big shout out. They all join us every Sunday for our Sunday services online, and we're just so honored and happy that you get to join with us in this new version of Together that we found, and I hope that it brightens your day, and I know it brightens mine to know that you're out there listening. You know, today I think of the other grandmas and moms who have had to isolate themselves for health reasons, 
You know, I hope that this Mother's Day is special for you somehow, that your family finds a way to make it special even if you can't be together. You know, when I think of all of our, our frontline workers that are also mothers, all of our doctors and nurses and EMTs and firefighters and first responders and even our cashiers. You know, you're working long hours, you're separated from your family, sometimes you can't even live with your family and I just want you to know that we're thinking of you too and that we're very grateful to you and we don't take your sacrifices lightly. We pray for you, I want you to know that, for protection and for strength and we pray that your spirits wouldn't get too heavy as you bear this burden for all of us right now. So there's lots of moms who are separated from their kids today. And then there are the moms who wish for a little separation from their kids. Well, my heart goes out to you guys too. This time with little kids at home, wow. You guys are heroes. So a lot of you are trying to work from home, care for your little guys, and now suddenly you also have to teach them, and I guarantee your kids are way brattier for you than they ever were at school, and I just want you to know that our hearts go out to you too today on this Mother's Day, and I pray that God would help you find some joy in the midst of all the chaos. So I don't know if you all have noticed this, but people are much more friendly right now than I've ever seen them before. And I, I know that there's the occasional person who like cover their mouth and leap into the bushes because you get too close to them, but by and large, I have just noticed that people just wanna talk a lot more than usual. They're so receptive to conversation. And I just think that we have such an opportunity right now to help each other by being kind and by reaching out, by even just smiling and exchanging a few words with people, asking how people are holding up. It's such a unique opportunity that we have to connect with people. This is the first time in three generations in this country where we're all facing the same crisis at the same time. And it's the first time in the history of the world where we're literally all facing the same storm. I know that there's some parts of the world that are much harder hit than others, but we are all in this storm together and that's unprecedented in the history of the world. Can't you feel how connected we are right now? And I know that it's hard and that we all wish it wasn't happening, but I think that we can steward this time well. You know, when people are so receptive to talking about God, to talking about their fears, you know, their foundations have literally been shaken. People wanna talk about where they can find hope right now. They're more receptive than any time I can remember to being invited to church. And it's also never been easier to come to church. You can come to church in your living room. You can be in your pajamas if you want. Like this is just such an amazing time to connect with other people. And I just pray that we don't, we don't miss it. And I think part of this is that we don't have to search for common ground with people. Like, like immediately, you just skip the small talk and, and just jump right into deep things. I've noticed that one trip to the grocery store, of course it was to the grocery store because where else do we go? There's no place else to go. But I just had like four conversations in this one trip and they were just immediately deep, talking about you know, how their families were doing and the, the different stresses that they were facing and, and the, the fears that they had. And I just remember this one man, he was probably around 70 years old and 
We encountered each other in the baking needs aisle. We were both searching in vain for yeast because suddenly the entire city is baking their own bread. So the whole shelf was empty and we just kind of, you know, stared blankly at it side by side and then shared a few words and joked a bit and then went our separate ways. And it was in another part of the store and, and he came over to me in a different, totally different part of the store. And he said, I just wanted you to know, I found out that the bakery will sell yeast straight from the bakery. And, and so I got you one and I came and I brought it to you. And like, I don't know why, but that made me just feel like crying. It was just that act of kindness that he showed to me. It just really made me realize that we can't miss the chances and the opportunities that we have right now to care for each other in a unique way. So today I wanna to talk about a painting and a parable. This is the painting by Rembrandt called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And the parable that I'm gonna talk about is the one that this painting is based on, told by Jesus in the book of Luke. My talk is gonna be a little bit different today than you're used to. Um, I'm a writer way more than I'm a preacher, so I'm gonna mostly read my message to you today. Mike calls this a writer's sermon, and I know it's gonna be different, but give me a chance, because what I wrote is what God put on my heart to share with you today, and I really hope it's gonna to speak to you. Okay, so some of you, I know that your kids will be watching with you right now. And I just wanna give you a heads up that there's some pretty intense parts of my own story that I'm gonna to share today. And so you might wanna get them doing something else while the sermon's going on. Um, right now on your screen, you're gonna see a link to our amazing kids service. And you can get them maybe set up on another device doing that. Or if your kids or anything like my kids when they were little, they're gonna tune out my voice anyway, so you might be just fine. So the painting is gonna be up for you to look at while I'm reading the parable today. And I want to encourage you to really look at it as I'm reading from the book of Luke, the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living after he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. 
So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Last year, I saw my dad, and I hadn't seen or talked to him in 11 years. 11 years ago, we adopted two kids, and adding two kids all at once to the four we already had was a task that would take more determination and emotional energy than I ever could have predicted. My relationship with my family, my parents, and one of my siblings had always been difficult, characterized by anger and deeply dysfunctional. Soon after we adopted, my family's actions brought my children into harm's way, and rather than fight another battle with them, I chose to protect our fledgling family of eight and funnel all of myself into raising my kids, helping my husband, and leading a church. I had nothing left in my arsenal of emotional effort to use to navigate the enemy territory that was my biological family. So though I didn't shake my fist at them, I retreated from them. I stopped reaching out, and realized that they weren't reaching out either, and the days became years, and the years became a decade. But then our youngest was in high school, and my parents were old, and I thought that maybe it was safe now to reach out, and that maybe they would want to know the adult version of myself, the one who had done pretty good, the one who had a happy family and kids who loved her, and whose husband was also her friend. I thought their old age might be blessed to know that woman and the kids she had raised, because they had turned out so much better, in spite of all my flaws, than I had ever dared to hope. So I extended an invitation to Calgary, where we were coming to watch our son play one of his last games of his university basketball career. And since they lived close, I thought maybe they would come. My mom said no, but my dad said yes, and I thought it might be something, if not great, at least it might be good. The turning of a page that had been open, stuck at a bad part for a long time. I hoped, though I never expressed this to anyone, that my dad would like this adult child of his who had a happy family and children who loved her and a husband who was also her friend. I hoped, though I never expressed this either, that he would feel joy to see his child whose face he had not seen in 11 years. But life is often unkind and we underestimate the strength that bitterness gains when it has been fed and nurtured for years and years. Grace and kindness were not extended to me that day. The offering I made to him on an olive branch was instead dipped in oil, lit on fire, and thrown back burning into my face. He wanted vengeance for my mom, I guess, who was holding on tightly to all of the ways, real and imagined, that I had disappointed her. Holding on to them, and the bottle tightly, as though the hard edges and cold glass might be an adequate substitute for the warmth of flesh and blood and the beating of a heart, however flawed and inadequate it was. We took our seats, my father beside me, watching his unfamiliar grandson play. 
We didn't talk at all. He talked to the others while I planned, palms sweaty and heart pounding, what to say, what topics to bring up during halftime when all other distractions would cease. The buzzer went and I asked him if he would like to see pictures of his granddaughter's wedding, the one they were invited to but chose not to attend. It was the Switzerland of topics, neutral and happy, with no chance of stumbling upon unexploded bombs from old wars. He refused to look at the pictures. And then he looked at me, his daughter, who had been lost to him for more than a decade, and yelled, you don't get to be a bitch for your whole damn life. And then he repeated it again, louder and angrier. I wish I had stayed calm and said something wise. I wish I had been that night the woman I was instead of the 10-year-old, afraid of her parents' angry words. I wished I had stayed, but instead I ran away, trembling, and hid from him, from his red face and his raised voice and his curses. I still see his lips sometimes when I remember that night, the lips of my father, that old man, shaking with rage, spit flying out. I didn't come out until he had gone, the 10-year-old won and I hid, alone and shaking in the bathroom. Thank God my husband, my friend, stayed the adult he was and spoke wise words, kind and gentle, to an old man who was robbing himself of richness and joy, refusing to turn the page that had been stuck on a bad part for a long time. My husband spoke of another father and another child and a fattened calf and a party that happened because that child who had been lost had come home again. He spoke to that stooped and injured man of what he would do if one of his children was lost to him, even if that child had shaken his fist at him and gone away. He said if that happened, if a child of his had gone away, he would, every evening, go to the end of his driveway and look down the road and hope and hope and hope that he would see the familiar shape of that child from a long way off on his way back to him. And when he saw that child coming, he would race to the phone, call the whole family to come over, and then he would send someone to the store to buy ice cream cake and party hats and noisemakers. Later that night, after the hiding and the trembling was over, I just felt sad. Not sad for myself, that part would come later, but sad for that old man, his bearing so familiar yet so much more stooped and frail than the last time I had seen him. Sad for him, walking out of that arena alone into the cold, fumbling for his keys, driving away, back to the same place he had come from. The page of the story still stuck on a bad part a few more lines hastily scribbled in the margin, making it worse. I wondered what he thought about on the drive home, and I hoped he wasn't sad. I put myself in his shoes, imagined myself driving away, away from one of my children, after an unfathomable absence, knowing it really was the end, and I couldn't bear the pain even in that few seconds, even in that hypothetical. I guess I hoped for his sake, that if he felt it at all, that love and loss, that he would bury it, mix it in with the bitterness and the anger until it formed a thick cement that he could pour over the part of his heart that still loved his child. Sometimes we just have to turn the page that has been stuck on a bad part for a long time. Sometimes there's no resolution of conflict, 
No falling action that ties up loose ends, assigns blame, and deals retribution and justice in tidy little bows. Sometimes we have to leave those frayed ends dangling, offer grace and maybe find it, open our hearts to a joy that just might be waiting on the next page. If we refuse to turn pages, if we leave them open to the bad parts, feeding the pain and the bitterness that is written there, a time will come when our life on earth is over and there will be no more pages left to turn, just the back cover as cold and as hard as the concrete steps, the plastic chairs of that arena. Later, as I reflected on that night, I thought about the story of the prodigal son and I looked at Rembrandt's beautiful painting for a long time. For me, that night in Calgary, in that arena with the red and yellow seats and the fluorescent lights, my own parody of the prodigal son story had played out. In its simplest form, I guess I was the younger son, estranged from the father, coming home, seeking acceptance, wondering if maybe a page could be turned. And in my story, the older brother was there too, in the red face and angry words, and even in the fear that kept me hiding in the bathroom. I do not place blame, but there was no father in my story, unless you count my husband, who that night was a good father to us all, especially to that old man who refused to turn the page, who couldn't see or even imagine that the colors on the next page might have been reds and yellows, warm and full like the painting, not the plastic imposters of that arena bathed in sickly fluorescent glow. The absence of the father in my story on that night made me realize something. Without the father, our heavenly father, we are doomed to play out a parody of the prodigal son's story forever. We are all by nature the older son, stern and disapproving, stingy with our acceptance, miserly with our forgiveness, tight-fisted with our love. We look to offer these things only to those who deserve them, which of course none of us ever do. And we are also, all of us, the younger son, with nothing to offer but tattered clothes and empty hands, longing so desperately for love. We are the younger son and the older in turns, jumping back and forth between roles, seeking forgiveness, longing for acceptance one moment, and then we're stingy and cold-hearted, proud and unfeeling in the next. I am the younger son, but I am also the older, and so is my dad, and so are you. Without the father, none of us, not the older sons or the younger, has any hope. My prodigal story that played out that night in Calgary is in fact a version of how the story will always play out when we as human beings are left to our own devices. And that, of course, is the whole point that Jesus was making when he told the story of the prodigal son to the crowd all those thousands of years ago. We are all lost sons and daughters, all of us with empty hands and tattered clothes, all of us in need of grace. We are all lost sons and daughters wanting to come home. Jesus told this story because he wanted all of those lost sons and daughters to know that they have a heavenly father dressed in warm red robes, hands bathed in pale golden light, watching and waiting for his lost children to come home. The eyes of that father in the painting, if you look closely, are not only looking down on the child before him who has come home, they are also looking off into the distance as though at the whole world, this world, 
full of his lost sons and daughters, you and me. His eyes have been searching for you all these years, standing at the end of his driveway, longing for you to come home. The love of God, this love that we cannot comprehend, this love without limits, is available to us all, if only we will come home. This first homecoming is, of course, the most important turning of the page that can ever happen in any of our stories. And I want to give you today the opportunity to take this step, to come home to your true father. If you want to turn that page today, I want you to pray along with me right now in your hearts as I pray out loud. Jesus, thank you for telling this story of the prodigal son to show us what kind of a father God is to all of us, a father who is full of grace, who will always welcome us home no matter how far we have wandered. Thank you, Jesus, for your life, your death, and your resurrection that removed the barrier between God, our Father, and us, his lost sons and daughters. Thank you for dying the death that our sins deserved in our place. Thank you for opening the door so that we could come through into the open arms of our Father. You opened the door and God opened his arms so that we could come home. So God, I come to you today with empty hands, knowing that I am a lost child in need of my Father. I give my life to you today, my heart, my mind, my soul, and I accept your gift of grace and acceptance and unconditional love. Amen. This moment of turning the page from death to life, this movement from being lost to being found is what gives us hope that a new story can be written. One that has Jesus on every page and ends by never ending at all because eternity is on the next one. Once we have Jesus by our side, we have hope to face all the other pages, all those loose ends, dangling and frayed, all of the pain and the loss and the separation we have faced in this broken world. For many of you, as you listen to my story today, your own hurt has surfaced as you thought about all of those loose ends in your own story, like that spot with me and my dad that has been stuck on a bad part for a long time. Maybe you are like me and some of the chapters in your life have fullness and joy, but there is that one spot where the page is stuck on a bad part, that one regret, that one pain, that one rejection, that one broken relationship. I want to encourage you to turn the page today. Give that pain to God, get it off that bad spot once and for all. With God's help, with him beside you every step of the way, your story never has to stay stuck on a bad part because he is always waiting for you on the next page. Maybe you're the father or mother who has been waiting for a child who you fear is never coming home. I want to encourage you to turn the page today by reaching out one more time. Send a text, a letter, an email, make a phone call. Tell them they don't have to go back and fix everything that got broken. Tell them a page can turn and a new story can begin to be written starting today. Or maybe for you, the broken relationship was your fault, at least partly, because if we're honest, all of us can always find something to apologize for. Turning the page for you today will mean saying you're sorry. You may not be able to go back and undo the harm you did, but you can still turn a page today by saying you're sorry. I can't guarantee that apology will be accepted, but I can guarantee 
that as you turn that page, your heavenly Father will be waiting for you. Maybe for you, turning the page would mean offering an olive branch to someone who has hurt you, who maybe you haven't seen in a long time, like with me and my dad. There is a chance that like me, your olive branch will get dipped in oil, lit on fire and thrown back burning into your face. But I want to encourage you to turn the page and offer it anyway. That person who hurt you will have to do their own reckoning. They will have to decide for themselves whether or not to turn their own pages. The only thing required of you is to trust God, your Father, who loves you completely, and turn the page. Maybe for you, you can't reach out to that person who hurt you because they aren't safe, or maybe they've passed away. I want you to know that with the help of God who watches over you, and Jesus who is your Savior, your friend and your brother, and the Holy Spirit who is your trusted guide, you can still turn the page. You can find peace and healing and wholeness on this earth, even without the participation of the person or people who hurt you. I know this, I've lived this. God tells us to be bold and strong for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, even onto the next page, God is waiting for you faithfully, even there. Maybe for you, turning the page would mean stepping out of the role of the older brother, proud and unforgiving, by offering forgiveness to someone else, undeserving though they are, unrepentant though they may be. You are free to offer forgiveness to someone even if they don't ask for it, even if they don't think they need it. Offering forgiveness to them will turn the page for you, that page that's been stuck on a bad part for too long. Your heavenly Father is there on the next page waiting for you. For some of you, maybe it's more about turning pages more quickly every day because you have a tendency to leave them daily stuck on bad parts. For some of us, it isn't one big olive branch that needs to be offered, but a million little ones. Small branches of grace we can offer to annoying, abrasive people like our spouses and our children our sisters, our brothers, our friends. For you, it's more that you need to be the father or the younger son in turns every day, alternating between admitting you need grace and offering it to others, instead of so often being the disapproving older brother, doling out grace and mercy so sparingly to the people in your life. For you too, turning quick pages every day will lead you to your heavenly father who is always waiting for you on the next one. And I think for all of us, the younger sons and the older, turning the page means allowing yourself to be loved by your heavenly father. Receiving love is often so much harder for us than giving it. For all of us, turning the page means to come, empty hands and tattered clothes, and just let your father put his hands on your back and enfold you completely, just sitting there on your knees for a while knowing he loves you like no one else ever has or ever could. With God beside you, you can always turn the page. None of us have to leave our stories stuck on a bad part. If you have felt God prompting you today to take a step, to turn a page, I wanna pray with you too, right now. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the grace you show me every time I come to you. I need your help today. I need your grace to help me turn a page in that one area of my life. Help me offer the same grace to others that you offer to me. 
Help me have the strength to trust you, knowing that I am only responsible for my own pages and that you will heal me and make me whole as I obey you by refusing to let my story stay stuck on a bad part. Thank you for being my kind father. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made a commitment today to turning a page in some area of your life, would you just put a book emoji on the chat right now? just as a symbol of, of that commitment. And if you prayed with me a few minutes ago and turned that most important page and started a relationship with your Heavenly Father today for the first time, I just want you to text the word LIFE to 604-670-3040. Just do that right now. We wanna send you a package with some resources to just help you in this new life that you've started. We're so excited for you and so happy that a new story is gonna to begin to be written in your life starting today. So just one more thing as I close. A few months ago, I wrote 40 days of devotions for us to do together as a, a church family to really focus our hearts on growing our relationship with God. And I wove a lot of my own story into those devotions, sort of like I did today. About 500 people signed up and followed along with those, and I wanna re-release those starting tomorrow. I just want us all to sign up. Even if you did them before, I want us all to sign up and do this again together. I think for those of you that made a commitment to turn a page in your life, these devotions are really gonna help you stay focused on what God wants to do inside you as you take those steps of obedience. And even just as I mentioned at the beginning that this time that we're in right now where our lives have been forcibly quieted down, these devotions are really gonna help you during this time just to be really intentional to steward this unique opportunity that we have to refocus our lives and just make sure that Jesus is put right back at the center of it. So I just want to encourage you to text the word TURN to 604-670-3040. And once you do that, every morning, starting tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., you're gonna get a link sent to your phone to the Devo for that day. And I'm so excited to do this together again as a whole church family. Thank you for listening to my story today, and I hope that you all make this Mother's Day a special one, even though it's a strange one. And we're gonna see you all back here again next week. Pastor Mike is gonna be back with week five of Unseen. So have a great week, everyone.